Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see everyone braved the cold and the rain to get here today. Uh, glad to see you guys. For those who have been asking, there is no baby Flannery yet. Um, I did talk to Zach this morning. They don't have the baby yet, but it'll be sometime very soon. Um, so just keep them in your prayers in the in the days to come. Just a few things to uh, make sure. If you haven't already, grab your bulletin from the, the vestibule out there. Quite a few announcements in here. That'll be good for you guys to keep a hold of, of things that are coming, things in our family ministry, um, our senior ministry, music ministry, things of that nature. So please make sure you grab a bulletin. Make sure you are aware of all the announcements that are in there. It's really good to see you guys today. So let me take a moment, let me pray for us, and then we'll get about our time of worship this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so honored and we are so grateful to be here in your house. Lord, we are, are grateful for the weather. Even though some of us may not enjoy cold or rain, we can still see your sovereign hand over it. And we are so grateful that, that we know that you are always in control of all things. And Lord, as you are in control of even the weather, we take courage that you are in control of our very lives. You know every sickness that is had. You know every pain that is felt. And Lord, not only do you know it, but you see us and you see us through it. And so we rest knowing that you are our God. And Lord, as we acknowledge that fact, that is why we are here to gather together with your people, to lift up your name, to exalt your glory, to magnify the name that is above every other name, the name that brings healing, the name that brings joy, the name that brings peace, the name that brings hope, the name of Jesus. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I invite you to please stand and let's sing together. We waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire to burn. Your heart, feeling every part of our pain. 
to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've given us, dear Lord. Dear Lord, uh, we just pray for the ones that are here and ones that could not be here today for whatever reason. Just be with them. Dear Lord, uh, now comes to, uh, to the time that uh, we give uh, just a small portion back to you, dear Lord. Uh, provide uh, back to your kingdom. Uh, for your same name we pray. Amen. Well, now as we get ready to celebrate Valentine's Day, if you couldn't tell, um, let's sing together um, of his wonderful love.
to be seated. Well, it is my joy and my honor to introduce um, our guest uh, preacher for this morning, Dr. Uh, Glenn Shelton. Not, uh, not, not doctor yet, excuse me. Uh, but a brother, Glenn Shelton, um, great man. I've been in contact with him for, for some time now. Uh, he was the pastor at Tabernacle Church for some time. And then after that, he was the interim pastor at Bethlehem in Albemarle, correct? Aquadale. Um, he also served as our vice moderator for our association for a couple of years with Pastor Tommy. Um, great man of God. And he's brought with him his uh, lovely bride, Rochelle. And so we are so glad to have uh, Brother Glenn with us today. So, Brother, the pulpit is yours. And do with the service as you'd wish. Good morning, church. When uh, uh, Deacon started reaching out and found out about Tommy's uh, opportunity to have a sabbatical this month, I was like, yes. I was so th- not that he's bad or anything else like that, but just I knew how much Tommy was working and how much he is working as, as moderator. Knowing as being a moderator, he and I spent every Tuesday afternoon together for 18 months working on denominee and, and, and trying to chart a path for the association. Then I knew the decisions he was making as moderator while we did not have, at, uh, what's the, what do they call it now, AMS. Dr. Andy Prince would be coming in a couple weeks to share with you the new AMS, but I was able to see firsthand Tommy's heart for God, for his church, and how much he loves you too, because as we were discussing church, he would just say how much, how thankful he is to have a congregation such as you, and and so I'm just thankful for the honor and the privilege. He said, I gave him a short list, brother, for people to call, and you were on that list. I'm like, thank you. Because that's an honor and a privilege for any pastor to say, I think you're worthy to stand and share God's gospel to my people. And so, uh, knowing Tommy, he's been in prayer. He is studying God's word and, and just getting reconnected with God. And, and, and I'm just so thankful for him. Our paths crossed several years ago down in Marshville. I had the opportunity to, teach, uh, to coach his son, Zach. Uh, rec basketball when Zach was in high school. And so our paths crossed and not knowing God. God ordains things. God brings things together and, and, and friendships are developed that you don't know later on in life how they're going to be connected. So I'm thankful to even know Zach, his, his son. And, and I'm just so thankful for, to be here. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at the first 21 verses there. And I, I was kind of looking at uh, maybe going with the ESV, but I'm coming back into the King James. Because if you're like me, you, you've memorized John 3.16 from the King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish 
but have everlasting life. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. It's the greatest love of all time. It's the fact that, that God loves us so much that he gave us his son, Jesus. And, and so we're going to dive deeper into these 21 verses. And, and so we're going to go ahead and begin reading there in verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know what thou art, a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and that hears the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we open up your precious word, open up your precious gospel. And Lord, as we get ready to celebrate a day that man has set aside with Valentine's Day, Lord, we rejoice in the fact that you've loved us so much, that in you it's loved alone, that you 
and that you gave your only begotten or begotten son, Lord, that we can have everlasting life. We're so thankful for that promise in the gospel. And Lord, as we open up your word and we continue to dwell, dwell into it, dear Lord, we just ask that you just open up our hearts, that you open up our minds, Lord, that, that you can convict us of, of where we fall short. And that we can grow closer to you, grow closer in that love, that we can stand steadfast upon your word. And Lord, that you convict our hearts, show us where we falter. And Lord, that you use this mouth, Lord, that, that we lift you up, that you draw all men unto you, dear Lord. Lord, just be with us and guide us. In thy name we pray, amen. My wife and I have been married for 31 years. Is that right? I got the right, okay. <laughs> Make sure we're, we got that together. But we have been through several things together. She is my best friend. I love her more with more love than I do any other human being on the face of this earth. And, and I hope she feels the same way about me. I know there's days that get on our last nerve. And I tried to find that last nerve some days. Men, you know what I'm talking about. We have to pick a little bit in everything. But I'm thankful that she has stayed beside me all these years. But as great as my love for her is and her love for me, it's, there's no greater love than what God has for us. And I have three kids that I've worked my entire life to provide for, that I love with everything I have. And, and I'm willing to do all I can to make sure that they're successful. And, I, and as they're teenagers and they're in my house, I'm, I worked as hard as I could to provide all the needs and all the wants that they would have in life. They didn't get all their wants. I didn't want to spoil them too much. But they had most of their wants. And now, don't even get me started about my grandkids. I mean, the love for grandkids. I wish I could have had those, them first. You know what I'm saying. Those of us that have grandkids, we, we love and we cherish them. And, and uh, this past week with allergies and everything, I looked like Rocky the raccoon. But my little two-year-old granddaughter, my, my wife was watching her, and she was going, eyes hurt. And you know what I've said, you would do anything to take that pain away from a grandbaby and everything. But as much as I love them, God's love for us is greater than even our love for our grandchildren. See, there's no love greater than God's. As we see, saw in the book of Job and, and other places in Scripture, we may not always understand God's love. And the things that takes place. I never could understand why my parents would say, as they're about ready to whoop me, and they, they had to do it quite often. This is going to hurt me worse than you. I'm like, you sure about that? And I said, then I ended up saying the same thing to my kids. But that love of correction. And, and, and so God loves us so much. They doesn't just let us do whatever we want. But the perfect example of this love is seen here in John chapter 3. And like I said, we know these verses. John three sixteen is probably the most 
famous verse in the scripture. If you're as old as I am, you remember the guy with the rainbow wig that showed up at every sporting event. He was there all the time. And he hold up the, the placard, John 3.16. It's always everywhere. Now, now we have kind of gone with the, wind, the eye shadow. John 3.16 is under the athlete's eyes. And, and so it's everywhere that, that we have turned around. But have we really looked at the gospel verse in the context that, that Christ gives it? See, we have a very educated Nicodemus. And he's been following Jesus all around the country. And he's been kind of back in the shadows, and he's watching from a distance and, and, and taking all these teachings in and examining God's message. But then he realizes that he must be from God. So there's three things I want you to kind of see in these verses. One, our position is, as we see it through Nicodemus. Two, God's love for us. And the third, our position we reject God. See, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, member of the ruling group, group of Jews. He has received the highest amount of education possible in Israel. He was a doctor. I'm, no. <laughs> I'm nowhere near a doctor. But Nicodemus had all this education. And so he knew about God. He knew about the scriptures. And so he comes in the middle of the night to ask Christ questions. He comes because the Holy Spirit draws him. There in verse, verse 2, he, he says, Then came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He recognized the Spirit of God in Jesus. And so it's drawing him to come to Christ. He's coming in the middle of the night. And and so we see that he's not quite ready to sacrifice everything. He doesn't want to give up his social standing. He doesn't want people to talk. Hey, he's going to Christ. He's going to see this this radical. This Pharisee's going to go see this radical. And he wasn't ready to give up that social standing. And unfortunately, we never see Nicodemus Make a profession of faith in the scripture. In John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, we see Nicodemus defend Christ to the other Pharisees. And he begins to use the man's law to defend him and saying, hey, he needs to have a proper trial, and all these other things. But he never says that he's the son of God. And then when Christ dies on the cross, and we see Nicodemus help Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Christ from the cross and place it in the tomb, we think well, that Nicodemus has come to know Christ. We don't see any profession of faith, but he, he goes and he gets the same amount of, uh, of weight, of, of myrrh and, and other spices to bury Christ as what people would do with a king. So we're seeing these actions that look like he's saved. But to base 
saying that Nicodemus is saved on these actions is like saying that you're saved just coming to church. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Unfortunately, just coming to church does not make one saved. We know in Romans 10.10, it says, For the heart, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have to profess with our mouth that Christ is Lord. And and, and believe unto him. And we don't see that from Nicodemus anywhere in the scripture. And the world today, and for that matter all throughout history, Many have been intrigued by Jesus, just like Nicodemus was. Many even believe Jesus to be a man of God, but not willing to repent of their sins and confess him as Lord. It is recorded of Paul giving witness to King Agrippa. In Acts 26 and verse 27, it says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I personally don't know if Nicodemus was saved. But according to the scripture, we see he does not make that profession of faith. Based on scripture alone, we can see that Nicodemus is almost a Christian. Almost a Christian does not make you a believer in Christ. It's only by repentance of your sins and proclamation of your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that you are made a Christian. And I pray as we continue throughout this morning that you're almost, that if you're almost a Christian, that you realize how much God loves you and desires you to profess Christ as Lord and pray that that takes place today, that, that, that you fall to your knees and just repent. And, and you don't have to wait until the end of the sermon. We don't know what's going to come between now and then. So if your heart's convicted, don't wait. Seek out the Lord while the time is near. And see, Jesus does not waste any time with Nicodemus at night. He, does, he doesn't get into all these word games with Nicodemus. He doesn't get into, you have to do this, that, and everything else. He tells him immediately that he must be born again. And see, Nicodemus had not turned his heart over to God yet. He does not recognize what, what Christ is trying to say to him. He does not recognize the, the, the spiritual things because the Holy Spirit was not living in him yet. Nicodemus did not, he, he was confused. And we become confused ourselves when God is trying to share God's word and we don't pray over and we don't, we don't, pour over our, 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 our minds and our hearts over, and we become confused because we're trying to understand it with our minds. I don't care how many degrees you have. If you're not in the Holy Spirit and God's not drawing you to His Word and, and instructing you, you're not going to understand it completely. 
Because you have to understand it with spiritual eyes. And Nicodemus here has no clue what God, what, what Jesus Christ is saying to him. And, and so Jesus continues trying to share and, and, and continues to comment even how Nicodemus is supposed to already know these things since he was a scholar of the word. And he knew all the scriptures of Jesus and, and concerning the Messiah. But finally, Jesus shares the scripture with Nicodemus that also shows the love of God that Nicodemus would know well from his studies. He shares about Moses holding the staff up so the children of Israel can look upon it to be healed. And, and verse 14 and we have, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is saying that if he was lifted up, he would heal people the same way. If you turn over to Numbers, book of Numbers in chapter 21 and verses 5 through 9, kind of look at what took place before and during and after that time when Moses lifted up that serpent because it shows exactly what's to take place as we lift up Christ. So begin there in verse, verse 5. It says, Then the people spake against God. They're crying out to God. They're, they're, they're complaining about being in the wilderness. They're complaining about everything that's taking place. Even a God's providing. They're, they're speaking against Moses. He says, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Speaking about the manna that was being provided. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. They are repenting. They're professing their sin. They are saying, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Say so the people are complaining, not giving honor to God and, and not praising them. And so God sent these serpents and they're biting them. And, and the pain was great. And the poison that was filling their body would eventually kill them. And some people are beginning to die. And so the people responded by calling out to Moses. And it's interesting how they called out. They confessed their sin. They confess, hey, we have sinned against God and we've confessed that we have sinned against you and they're calling out. 
And they want to see their bodies healed and the serpents removed. And God does that. He directs Moses to place the brass serpent on a staff and direct the people to look up. Look at the staff and they will be healed. There's nothing great, no mysterious salve or, 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 or anything else that, that God was using to heal except for the serpent that's placed on the staff being raised up. And the children of Israel had to look up and they were immediately healed of the bites. Now the poison that was entering into their bodies. They had to have that faith to believe that they would be healed. And see, Jesus is using these events to tell Nicodemus in a way that he would understand salvation. Nicodemus knew these verses. He knew what took place. And so then Jesus says, so must he be lifted up. So for all mankind to look upon him and be healed to be forgiven of sin. See, Jesus had to die upon the cross for our sins because we are in the wilderness. If we don't know Christ as our Savior, we're in the wilderness. Man can toss us to and fro. Man can come in with an opinion, we go that way. Come in with another opinion, we go that way. Nike says just do it, and people have been just doing it. Whatever pleases them. Pick on Burger King a little bit. Have it your way. People are are always looking for that self-pleasure. And they've been in the wilderness seeking that out. And the sin of this world is condemning people. But Jesus must be lifted up for all mankind to look upon him and to be healed, to be forgiven of that sin. And Jesus had to die upon the cross for our sins. Because we are, are just, we are imperfect beings. That poisonous sin continues to enter into our bodies. And ultimately, it's going to lead to our death. That's eternal separation from God. And then Jesus gives the reason why he came, verses 15 and 16. He says, and it says there, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn it. That judgment has already been pronounced. Just like the serpents are already biting the Israelites. If they didn't look upon the brass serpent, they were going to die. Sin has already been pronounced into the world. God already, throughout the time, has said that sin leads to the death of man. That we'd be forever separated from God. So that pronouncement's already been made. 
that if we do not look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and repent of our sins like the children of Israel did there in the wilderness and accept Christ as our Savior, we will die and be forever separate from God. God does not desire the separation. But he does have a high standard for mankind to remain in fellowship with him. We must be without sin. We must be spotless. And he knew we could not meet that standard. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our, all, yeah, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we will all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God loves us so much. He does, he's not going to leave us in that, that, that position. He has not left us in that condition without a way to be bridged towards him. And that's Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Romans 5 says, but God commands his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When my wife and I started dating, and we knew each other, and I would pick on her unmercifully, taunted her, and, and all, all these other things. She thought I was the most obnoxious person on the face of this earth. She really didn't realize, and, and guys, we know this, when a guy starts picking on a girl, he really does like her secretly. She thought I was the most obnoxious person on the face of this earth. The Lord started moving in, in her heart and, and started saying, he's the one. She's like, a lifelong mission project. Why, Lord? <laughs> a lot of way to go. Lord had to move her heart, but he was also working on mine. When I started picking on her, I hadn't announced my calling to preach yet. I hadn't surrendered my life. Then I surrendered my life to preach, and the Lord started working on her to accept me. The Lord does not leave us right where we're at. Even as we become Christians, the closer that we grow to him, he does not leave us right there. He continues to allow us to grow and become closer to him. See, this is the message that Jesus has given to Nicodemus. He loves us so much that he's not going to leave us right where we're at. If we are lost without Christ, he's convicting our hearts to come to him. If we are saved, he's not going to just let us stay saved. He's going to keep on convicting and drawing us closer to him. But he loves us so much. I see, that's the gospel. That God loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. They have everlasting life. 
He was raised up on the cross of Calvary where all men could look up to him and see him as his hands were spread out. The blood was being shed so that all of mankind come to God the Father. And what's really, I, I, this is something I cannot understand how it's individually for each one of us. That there's just one person to be saved, whether it's me or you, that God would still have sent his son Jesus to die on the cross because he loves us so much. But he also gives us a warning as he continues to speak with Nicodemus. He says, there are some that will love the dark and and they love evil and will never accept light except Jesus. John 5, 24 says, Very verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but has passed from death unto life. We have that, that, that choice that when God calls upon our heart, he convicts us of our sins. He convicts us that we need to come to Christ and declare him as our personal Savior. That we give up all and we come to him. That we will repent of our sin. First John 4, 8 and 9 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, but grace ye are saved. By grace ye are saved. The scripture repeatedly shows that while we were dead in our sins, that God loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus as a perpetuation for our sins that we can live for eternity with God the Father. But many refuse the simple act of looking up and believing in Jesus and accepting him as Savior. going to close with this story. It's about uh, Warren Worsby shares it. It says, On January 6, 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the city of Colchester, England. And a teenage boy was unable to get to the church he usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist church where an ill-prepared layman was substituting for the absent preacher. His text was Isaiah 45, 22, saying, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For many months, this younger teenager had been miserable and under deep conviction, but though he had been reared in the church, both his father and grandfather were preachers, he did not have the assurance of salvation. The unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say, so he kept repeating the text, 
A man need not good college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he saw the visitor sitting to one side, and he pointed at him and said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man looked at Jesus Christ. The young man did look by faith, and that's how the great preacher, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, was converted. He was miserable. He was seeking out God. He was raised up in the church, but that did not save him. I'm sure that his grandfather and his father kept on sharing the scriptures, but that did not save him. Nicodemus was not saved just by going and, and listening to Jesus talk and, and teach him. He had to make a profession of faith. Charles Spurgeon had to make a profession of faith. Just showing up and getting all the words and hear Pastor Tommy preach and all the other preachers. I'm seeing the revival coming up in March. I'm like, gosh, that's a lot of great men of God coming. But none of them can save you. You can be here every night and hearing all this great teaching. You can hear every, everything. Oh, gosh, I feel good now. I've been there at church. But that does not mean that you are saved. The children of Israel were with Moses coming through the wilderness. They saw the manna. And they were complaining about the manna. And God got their attention with the serpents biting them. And they said, we have sinned. They confessed their sins. They repented. And God healed their physical bodies and removed that poison from their bodies. But it wasn't permanent. So he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, that we may look up, look upon the cross of Jesus and confess our sins and ask for him to come into our lives. There is no greater love than what Christ did on the cross for us. Get ready for a Message of invitation, and and Brandon comes back up. My question for you today is, are you saved? Do you know without a doubt that you are saved? Oh, gosh, back when I was six years old, I came in vacation Bible school, I was saved. Do you remember that change of heart? Remember the Holy Spirit entering into your body? Entering into your heart? Have you been just hoping that I'm doing enough to get by? I can tell you now, without accepting Christ as your, uh, of your Savior and, and repenting of your sins, you're not going to get by. You can never be good enough. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we go into heaven. It's only by repenting of our sins and asking Christ to come into our hearts that we're able to be saved, to look up. 
Some of you may have been miserable for years because you know the Lord's dealing with you. For weeks, I would come to church up in Cincinnati. I would get physically sick when I was little as we were leaving. And finally, I gave over to the Holy Spirit, and I was saved. I was miserable. Some of you may be feeling the same thing. But Jesus wants to come into your life and save you this morning. As Brandon comes up, I want to turn the service back over to you, brother. Don't let another time go by. Today is the day of your salvation. This hour is the time of your salvation. Brother Brandon. you to please stand as we sit together.
Amen. Thank you for that for that message, Brother Glenn. Uh, I think a lot of times we lose sight of the true gospel whenever we start to see the the things that we do. And it's nice to be refreshed, be reminded of the grace that that has saved us and and has redeemed us. Thank you for that. Thank you again for being here. One last quick announcement. Uh, For this coming Wednesday night, we are opening our kids' ministry back up. Um, So we will have our regular kids on Sunday nights as well as Wednesday nights now. Uh, So for any kids who are are wanting to be a part of that, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock in the chapel building, we'll have that back open. So I pray that you guys will be a part of that. Thank you again for being here. And uh, let me dismiss us with a word of prayer. Brother Glenn, I'll invite you to come stand in the back and, and greet us as we, as we close. Lord, we are just so grateful and thankful for the grace that you have saved us with. Lord, thank you that you have not left us where we used to be, but you have changed us and transformed us. You have sent your Son to redeem us. Thank you for the grace of the cross, the grace of your Son. May we never lose sight of it. May we never abuse this grace. May we share this grace, this love, with everyone that we encounter. Lord, be with each one that is here. May your hand of blessing rest on each one as we go this place. Bring us back safe for the next time that we are gathered to worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.